Welcome and thank you for joining us for the NAHU Healthcare Happy Hour, the official podcast of the National Association of Health Underwriters. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Spotify. The podcast is distributed on these platforms every Friday and is included in the NAHU's weekly member-exclusive health policy newsletter, The Washington Update, giving you a head start on your weekly healthcare happy hour. Welcome back, folks. We hope you had a fantastic Thanksgiving holiday with your friends and family. On this week's episode of the Healthcare Happy Hour, we are happy to announce that a bill has been introduced that would exclude Medicare agents from the recent burdensome Medicare Advantage marketing requirements. Here to discuss this, as well as a midterm election update, is NAHU's John Green and Marcy Buckner. So let's start with this big news. The bill that would exclude agents and brokers from the new Medicare Advantage recording requirements. First off, can you remind folks what is now required of agents and brokers under the new marketing regulations that went into effect October 1st? Well, with the Medicare marketing rules that came out earlier this year, there was a requirement that was put into place for third-party marketing organizations or TPMOs to record all enrollment and marketing calls for Medicare Advantage and Medicare Part D. And I want to make sure we're being really clear that we're talking about very specific markets within Medicare. So this is not individual and group market. This is just requirements for recording those enrollment and marketing calls for Medicare Advantage and Medicare Part D. And the way that the marketing rule defines TPMO, so the way that it defines the people that have to be in compliance with this, is um, it does include individual agents and brokers in that definition of third-party marketing organization. So it does require independent agents and brokers to record these conversations. We brought up a long list of concerns that goes along with this, but one of the leading issues was that we truly do not believe that independent agents and brokers are third-party marketing organizations. You're not a TPMO. You operate very differently than true TPMOs and have different resources, different structures, and the ability for independent agents and brokers to be in compliance with this uh, is very burdensome. It's very costly to record these calls. Many times these calls are very lengthy, and so the data that's needed to store these long calls with the requirement of the storage being up to 10 years is, like I said, it's it's a financial burden. So we have been working with CMS to try to get some relief on independent agents and brokers. And in, in light of CMS being very slow to respond, partly because of the way that the regulatory system works. We have worked on the congressional side, thanks to many messages from so many of you across the country where you have sent your operation shout in to let your members of Congress know the concerns that we've had with the Medicare marketing rule. And here we are with a bill from Senator Rounds that seeks to provide a little bit of relief here by taking out the independent agent and broker so that that agents brokers will no longer fall under that definition of TPMO. And so we'll have these requirements that are associated with the Medicare marketing rule. If the bill passes, they would be lifted. That being said, the new bill introduced this week, Senate Bill 5149. How would this change the marketing requirements relative to licensed Medicare agents? 
Well, as Marcy laid out, the CMS regulations have all these associated uh, requirements for disclaimer ahead of any conversation, and then the recording requirement itself, the storage requirements, and all that theoretically, if passed, would fall away. What it does do is provide some pressure on CMS to look for ways in which they can provide some common sense relief. For example, with existing clients who entered into a voluntary relationship, that's not where the complaints are coming from. And I think it would be wise to also provide some relief on those who work in the Part D space because of the costs associated with it, depending on the broker's size of their book of business, they may end up just referring people to Medicare.gov. What John is describing with the possible impact this could have on CMS is that while we believe CMS has the ability to make a, a lot of these changes that we've been suggesting that could make this easier, things like John suggested, like limiting the recordings to new clients and not an existing consumer base that you already have, or limiting the length of time that these recordings need to be stored so that that could help on the financial burden side. And some of these other pieces. And it's hard for CMS to work very quickly, again, because of the way that the regulatory process is set up and what they have to do to go through the rulemaking process. Here, we're, we're working with Congress, one, to kind of try to, to fast track this a little bit because they can sometimes work a little bit faster than going through the rulemaking system, depending on what the bill is and the type of support it has on the Hill. But it also provides a little bit of cover, some leverage for CMS so that they can say, you know, where they may be having trouble getting traction or having support internally on CMS to make these changes to the rule, they can then point over to Congress and say, look, there's a bill that's introduced that's going to do this. We should be proactive and go ahead and take the regulatory steps that we're able to make so that we, as in here I'm talking as CMS, can have a little bit more control over what the changes are to the rules instead of them being stuck with whatever um, statute is handed down if a piece of legislation passes through Congress. So it's a, a little bit of a negotiation tactic on our part, as well as a way to try to really cover our bases so that if we are left with inaction on the part of CMS, the agency, we'll be able to move forward with the action that we just had with the bill being introduced on the congressional side in the Senate. So obviously, the bill has only just been introduced in the Senate. So what can we expect moving forward? So I think that for the remainder of what's left of this Congress, not a great deal. It's so late in the session. They are working on the rail strike issue. They've got to fund the government. They have many things ahead, but it is a placeholder, a marker for the next Congress uh, to reintroduce. In fact, they've already contacted me about talking about our strategy for the next session. And we really do want it to be bipartisan. So we want to find a Democratic partner uh, for Senator Rounds, because I think this can be very bipartisan. This is about the beneficiary, right? It's not even as much about the agent, though you are impacted. Beneficiaries are impacted, right? They don't want their private information in some cloud somewhere and stored for 10 years. And a lot of the feedback that I'm getting 
is that conversations are very stilted. You know, they have strong relationships with beneficiaries. They talk about the vacation they took and their dogs and their cats and, uh, you know, personal things. And many of those conversations are, you know, very business-like now because of these reporting requirements. So it's, it really has changed the relationship. You know, we're hoping that with that message, we can find a Democratic partner and then work on a House companion bill as well. As we mentioned, the, the bill was just introduced this week. You should have received today, Friday, December 2nd, an Operation Shout so that you can send your message to your senators to ask them to support this legislation. So make sure that you take a look in your email and anything from NEHU, you open it and go ahead and send that to the Senate. Moving on to electoral and congressional discussions. We last spoke about the midterms three weeks ago, shortly after Election Day. At the time, there were some uncertainties and undecided contests. However, as of recording this, all but two elections have been decided. So do you think these new results change anything? Well, it will boost Republican numbers by two. One is they're ahead by 600 votes and there are 400 left to be tabulated. So I think that is a pretty clear R column. The other one will also fall Republican, the one in Colorado, which is even closer. But that said, it doesn't leave them a very large margin for error. And some of you may have heard some of the uh, you know, uh, discussions about speaker uh, challenges to the uh, Kevin McCarthy to be the next speaker of the House. And in conversations that I've had so far, you know, the, this feeling is that those on the right want to be heard. There's a lot of pent up feelings about not sitting at the table, if you will, or they just want to be heard. And I think that when it actually comes down to voting, I believe Kevin McCarthy will be speaker. No one's contesting the other positions. I talked to Tom Emmer today, and he thinks it's all going to sort itself out. Uh, he's very close to Andy Biggs, who's actually one of the, the ones who have been the most vocal. I think the band of folks who are definite no's, you know, is, is, is actually fairly small. We don't know what leadership will look like yet in the Senate, but I don't really expect any significant changes over there. I've heard any changes. On the Democratic House side, they have elected Hakeem Jeffries of New York. Hakeem Jeffries' election really is a milestone for being the first African-American elected potentially to the speaker's level. Existing uh, leadership has uh, gracefully stepped aside to let a younger generation move up, uh, with the exception of uh, Mr. Clyburn from South Carolina whose argument is they need geographic diversity and they need a Southerner. But now he is actually being challenged by a House member in the LGBT community of Connecticut. And the recent shootings and that made him feel that he needed to be vocal about representation from their community. So we'll see that they are voting uh, today as of this recording on that race. They still have to decide the DCCC position. It's highly controversial. They've had a couple of very difficult cycles with regard to the DTRIP. 
And so uh, they actually might create a rule that allows Mr. Jeffries to make the decision about that post. We'll see what direction they decide to go in. And John gave a really good briefing of the, the leadership dynamics for both parties in the House. I would just provide a little bit of an update because I'm sure you all have seen it in the news, but if you're only getting your news from this podcast, which I, I hope you're getting it from other sources as well. But the last time we gave an update on the Senate was what Dan mentioned three weeks ago. And so we were still waiting on the numbers for Wisconsin and Arizona. So now we do have a better outlook of the Senate. The Democrats will have at least 50, we know, in the Senate. And then there's that one runoff in Georgia that will happen next week. And so depending on the results for the Georgia runoff Senate race, that will determine whether the Senate is a 50-50 split or a 49-51 split um, in favor of the Democrats. So we do know that it is going to obviously be a very close difference in the Senate. So we're going to be kind of back where we were within this past congressional session with possibly no votes to spare on either side when it comes to getting things done, which means they're going to have to work on a bipartisan basis to get things through regular order, which requires 60 votes in the Senate. So just kind of a, a bit of an update there, and all eyes are on Georgia. They are, and early voting has been extremely strong in Georgia. Early voting is very short because it has to cut off the Friday before the election, so they only have till Friday. But some 400,000 have already taken part in uh, the electoral process. Both sides are trying very hard to get their bases out. Indications of polling suggest that uh, the incumbent, Mr. Warnock, is slightly ahead. But, you know, I think he does have the edge. Incumbents typically do. We'll just have to see what happens. Hopefully we'll know on Tuesday. But don't be surprised if results are somewhat delayed again, just because of want to get it right. So committee placement is going to be decided by uh, House Republicans next week. And there are a couple that I would flag for you. One is in the Ways and Means Committee, where it's a three-way race there. Highly competitive, Mr. Buchanan from Florida, Adrian Smith from Nebraska, who's our champion on employer reporting, Jason Smith of Missouri, who's currently ranking member on budget. I think the two leaders are probably Buchanan and Smith, but we are looking forward to working with whoever comes out of that uh, horse race. And then in education and labor, Virginia Fox from North Carolina is looking for a uh, seeking a waiver uh, to allow her to continue in the role. I think that the prospects of getting a waiver, uh, which would be bestowed by Mr. McCarthy, it's his decision to make is unlikely because others are also going to be seeking waivers. And if you grant one, you've got to grant them all kind of a precedent setting exercise. And I just don't know that she will get it. Next in line would be Tim Wahlberg from Michigan, who we are uh, very close to. He also serves on Energy and Commerce Committee. Uh, he's been great on telehealth and on COBRA's credible coverage, great staff. Uh, very knowledgeable on healthcare. And so either way, we will be well positioned to work with whoever emerges as chair of that committee. Budget also has a, 
a contested race, um, but we don't uh, work as much with that committee. But what is interesting is Jason Smith, as I said, is ranking right now. And if he fails in his effort to um, be chair of Ways and Means, um, he is would also like to remain as chair of budget. So that's setting up some interesting political dynamics among those who are running for that committee. So we mentioned a little bit about some of the priorities that the Congress has in this lame duck session. So do we anticipate that any of NHU's priorities will be taken up during this time? Well, there are two. And uh, the telehealth to allow people who have HSA compatible plans to pre-deductible get telehealth services for primary care and mental health. I think that that one has an excellent chance. We have been doing meetings almost daily on this issue for weeks. And so I think that, you know, they had done this last year, but they did it retroactive. That was very, very difficult. And, you know, I think continuity of care is a really important thing uh, besides the administrative hassles of it, making sure that people can continue with their, their treatment and therapies. Very strongly supported by over 300 organizations in a letter uh, to the Hill. So I think that that one is in a good place. The second one is, is many of you who came to Capitol Conference recall Senator Toomey had a long-term care bill to allow people to use their 401k and 403b retirement money to pay long-term care premium. And that got included into a retirement packet that as of yesterday, I asked Senator Thune about it, and he feels very strongly that that is going to be included in the omnibus packet. So that is likely to become law as well. If, if Senator Thune thinks it's going to happen as number two ranking person in Senate leadership, I, I would say that on pretty safe ground to say that that could be another one that we can put points on the board. But unfortunately, a number of our other priorities are probably going to go into the next Congress. For next Congress, though, just generally speaking, cost of care issues are rising to the top with recession concerns on the horizon. The fact that group plan premiums were pretty flat this year because they didn't account for inflation. This will all have to be made up next year. And I also just want to remind folks that as much as we talk about some of our wins that are going to be in these end of year packages, like the HSA telehealth extension and the long-term care act, it's also important to remember what is not in some of these bills. So sometimes what you prevent from getting into a bill is just as important as what you get into one. And we can spend some time, I think, on the next podcast talking about some of those pieces that we were successfully played defense on and, and prevented from getting passed. So just think it's important to keep those things in mind as well. And also with the long-term care and the telehealth wins, I think those are great examples of the kind of singles and doubles that John was saying are, are likely to occur in the next congressional session as taking the wins as you can get them, taking small steps forward, taking the singles and doubles towards a, a home run in the end of the congressional session, hopefully next session. It is now time for the NHU Healthcare Happy Hour Toast of the Week. So who are we toasting to this week? I think a big shout out goes to Senator Rounds, who's been engaged on this Medicare issue 
that we were talking about on agent recording. He really got up to the plate and worked with all the agent alliance to formulate this bill. We also appreciate Senator Rich of Idaho for also co-sponsoring the bill and getting us on our way. Cheers. Thank you for joining us for the NAHU Healthcare Happy Hour, the official podcast of the National Association of Health Underwriters. For more information on NAHU's government affairs efforts or to become a member, visit NAHU.org.